0: Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour podcast. I'm Sarah, an SLP in private practice. I also design on Teachers Pay Teachers, and I coach people who are starting private practices. So if you want any more information on those options, you can go to slphappyhour.com. Today we're discussing one of my favorite areas of practice, intervention for childhood apraxia of speech or CAS. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and you wanna connect with me, including monthly or so emails, sign up at slphappyhour.com forward slash newsletter and all links for this episode will be at slphappyhour.com forward slash show notes. So let's get into the show. Up today, six common problems with therapy, for CAS, and how to fix them. As a private practice SLP, I've noticed that my caseload has a lot more CAS than when I worked in the schools. I think this is because if a family is going to commit to speech therapy, especially coming a few times a week, they may need to invest financially or have great insurance, and they definitely have to invest time and practice into attending speech therapy. I try to see my students with CAS for 30 minutes, and that's because of insurance reimbursement rates. That sets how long my sessions are, not because it's best for CAS. And I try to see them twice a week, mainly because very few families can come in three times per week, but that works even better. So, in private practice, I have many more students with CAS than I previously had in the schools, and this has meant I've had to learn a lot about apraxia, try new things, research things, and if those things don't work, to start all over again. So if you are an SLP looking for resources on childhood apraxia of speech, I would recommend that you go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and search for the SLP Happy Hour Store. There you'll find an apraxia bundle, which includes apraxia homework, vowel practice, session ideas, data ideas, and even more. Everything in that packet is no prep, print and go, so you can choose an activity, print out the words you want to use and start your session. So let's get to the six problems with apraxia and how to fix them. Problem one, it's too boring. Sessions are too boring. I'm going to be honest with my own therapy. I've struggled with some students who've been seeing me for a few years. I feel like I've done it all with them. In these sessions, it can get repetitive pretty quickly. I only have so many toys, especially since I recently moved into a therapy space half the size of my previous one, meaning I had to get rid of toys and store even more. So I've been feeling like I absolutely need to mix it up when it comes to apraxia therapy. So let me invite you into my speech room, and I'm going to share with you five different activity suggestions or ideas for a student I have who's three years old, let's call him Archer with CAS, and for Archer each session is about half drill, at best, it depends on the day, and half naturalistic play with recasts. He really likes Fisher Price toys like the pirate ship in the house because if I do more drill than half the session with him, he'll cry, tantrum, or refuse, and I don't want to get to that point. So for Archer, we are working on repetitive productions of the word C. He has both CAS and a phonological collapse where many sounds default to D, including that S sound. Because S is such a frequent sound in the English language, I do want to focus on that. For now, we aren't working on many phrases because this task, even producing C at the word level is so hard for him that we really need to stick to that word level. But as soon as he can successfully say C at the word level, of course, I'd want to include common phrases in that practice for that additional motor planning, but we're not there yet. So here are some activity ideas. Activity one: I have pullback cars that those are the ones you pull them back and you release them and they go. So I have small cars in a ramp. I'll pull out two cars. He chooses which one he wants. I put it at the top of the ramp and we say see because we see the car on top of the ramp and then the car goes down, which he finds fun. Activity two is a lift the flap book to practice the word see. This week I did the book Deer Zoo. So when we lift the flap, we would say we see a puppy, etc. Activity three is plastic eggs with toys hidden inside. And we might go through the fabric pop-up tunnel I have, for example, and then open an egg, open it up and talk about what we see. So I'm making a short obstacle course where opening the eggs and practicing that target. Activity four is crocodile dentist and small figurines, whether they're like dinosaurs or people figurines. So I learned this play routine from an autistic student. I see it's so creative and I love it. We open the mouth of the big crocodile in the Crocodile Dentist game and we put one of the figurines into its mouth and press the teeth until it closes. And then the person inside says, help me. And we open the crocodile's mouth and we work on C. So for that, the Crocodile Dentist is a fairly big game with a crocodile head. And as you press the teeth, the mouth will close. And that does surprise and scare some kids. But here in this play routine, we're putting a figure inside, pressing the teeth until it closes, being like, help me, help me. And then other figurines come, open the crocodile's mouth, pull out the person or animal, and, and then we see them because we've rescued them. Activity five is grabbing some kinetic sand and figurines and burying the people with just their heads peeking out like we like to do at the beach, having them pop out, and then talking about what we see. So I hope these Five play ideas give you ideas of things you can do in your own speech room so that you can get multiple productions of a target word within several activities. For Archer, I do see some underlying phonological awareness skills that are a challenge for him, so we really are only working on one to two words per session and lots of repetitions of those words. So in each of these play routines, for example, with the car on the ramp, we might say the word C three to five times. And I try to vary the amount of repetitions each time so it's not the same each time and doesn't get boring or overwhelming for him. But we also use phonological approaches in sessions for him, which I'll talk more about later in this episode. Problem two, the word set is too large. When the word set is too large with CAS, students get frustrated and and may refuse activities or really lose faith that they can be successful within sessions. And I've seen that with Archer. So you can't just print an articulation worksheet and hope for the best with kids with CAS. So I recommend working with one to three words per session for most students and no more than five words per session for most students students, and this is particularly in the early stages of therapy. Later on, I do tend to bring, on, bring in more words, more phonological approaches. So what are the benefits of using a smaller word set? You get more frequent practice with fewer words, and that gives the student more motor planning practice. Students see their own success, and so they want to keep practicing. And an added benefit is you can let parents know one of the words you practiced that day, and they can practice it at home throughout the week. So it's easier for parents to remember to practice a word if it's just one word per week to practice at home. Problem three with apraxia therapy, there isn't motor practice and motor planning instruction. So we know we need to apply principles of motor learning to our sessions for children with CAS, but practically, what does that mean? So if you're getting started with CAS therapy, here are my top tips regarding where to start. Get as many productions of target words. I go for at least 50 whenever possible. 100 is great, but it's not possible for some of my younger students. And again, having that smaller word set will help you get those extra productions. And it can be difficult to make sure you're getting, you know, at least 50 productions, 100 would be great, even more than that would be amazing. But the test student today, Archer, he is not there yet. So my Best tip for getting an idea of how many repetitions you're getting is to get an inexpensive tally counter. I got mine on Amazon. You press a button and it counts up from zero. You turn the knob to reset it back to zero. And doing this once in a while in your sessions will give you a ballpark of how many repetitions you're getting. And that has been a helpful activity for me. Another principle is to have massed practice in sessions, distributed practice at home. So mass practice is that practicing lots of trials in a short period of time, great for motor planning. We're doing that in sessions. And distributed practice is practicing words distributed over a larger period of time. So that's what parents are gonna do at home. For example, when I send Archer home from a session, I'll say, please work on C this week and they'll sprinkle it throughout their week. Another tip is to use D, You can learn how to do this for free online, which is in short where you'll say the target words with the child, looking at your mouth and attending to you, and over trials you'll make your voice quieter to whispering and then mouthing the words and then a delayed model. So you can look up DTTC and Dr. Edith Strand for free training online on how to do this. Challenge four with apraxia therapy, the child has phonological pattern errors. But you aren't using phonological therapies to address this." So I have done this for a long time, actually. I've made this mistake. So I learned in grad school that there are speech sound disorders, phonological disorders, and apraxia, and people acted like there was absolutely no overlap between the three, and they were so different. But it turns out there can be quite a bit of overlap. So when we see phonological pattern errors in our sessions, we need to be using some phonological approaches within sessions for those students. Yes, even students with apraxia. So yes, principles of motor learning, that's the gold standard, and that can include things like DTTC, REST, Kaufman PROMPT, and more. I personally prefer DTTC and REST for the cost and ease of training, and probably 90% of the time in sessions I use DTTC, which again, you can find free trainings online by Dr. Edith Strand for that. So yes, I'm using principles of motor learning first. But if my student has phonological errors as well, I'm also implementing phonological approaches, such as multiple oppositions when there's a phoneme collapse, maximal oppositions for kids who just need one target sound and have poor phonological awareness, I like to use it in those cases, and minimal pairs for traditional errors like fronting and so on. Discussing this overlap between speech sound disorders and apraxia, I really am referring to an article from the Informed SLP and it's called Everything You Want to Know About Treatment Approaches for Speech Sound Disorders from August 2022. It's really shifted my perspectives with this and it has helped me to realize that I want to implement phonological approaches for apraxia, and I've seen great success with this. For example, going back to three-year-old Archer, I have found he has many phonological awareness challenges which are impacting our progress in speech therapy. He doesn't yet have sound letter correspondence or the meta skills to hear his own production and attend to it and know if it's correct or not. So that's been a challenge. And for him, I'm pulling out visuals to support him. So for example, a long piece of string or a long sensory noodle for the s sound and a square block or a bead for the shorter dust sound, which um, we make a quick tapping motion to point to whatever represents the D sound and a long left to right motion as we, you know, go along that stringer sensory noodle. So I'm also pulling out pictures of the letter S, we're tracing it with the long sound, and when he does D for S in trials, I'm also going back to one of those visuals for extra support. And for Archer, I'm also using a phonological approach called maximal oppositions, which is fairly new to me. I haven't used this in a long time. So What is maximal oppositions? This is for kids with consistent phonological errors. It's for kids who are missing six or more sounds in their speech sound inventory. It is a complexity approach similar to minimal pairs, except the known and unknown words differ by a lot, by multiple distinctive features so place manner and voicing for example with archer i'm doing maximal oppositions with m which is his known sound and s which is his unknown sound and i have a three pair set for archer we contrast these unknown maximally opposed sounds so med said and that's called treatment of the empty set So that's just one example of using a phonological approach for a child with apraxia. By considering if your student has an underlying phonological disorder with CAS, and again, we're determining this by looking for patterns in their speech sound errors, you may be able to know what treatment approaches to consider implementing phonological interventions for my students with apraxia has resulted in better outcomes for my students so you may want to try it in your own therapy room as well and my favorite way to do this is to use the skip app so sound contrasts in phonology s-c-i-p app which is about sixty dollars in the apple store i avoided using it for a long time and a friend who does a lot of speech sound disorders in her therapy really kind of pushed me to bite the bullet and pay the $60, it gives me lots of options for word sets and it even has information about lots of different phonological approaches. So it helps me know which one to choose because I can read the summary of each option. Challenge five with apraxia. Tasks are too difficult and too frustrating and students are losing hope of improvement. So for students who come to speech, especially those who, for example, come in multiple times per week and get services in different settings, like at school and at the clinic, and have been enrolled in speech therapy for a while, I do see frustration and burnout that can set set in. So working on minimizing this is essential for continued progress. Here's what works for me to have more success in the speech room and to limit burnout and you know we can never avoid burnout so it is always okay to say like hey let's take a month off or if you work in the school systems or early intervention to consider yearly minutes so that if a student really does need a break they can take it so here are my tips end on a good note a moment of success or doing an activity the child loves consider the frequency of feedback do not give feedback every single time if the child is getting frustrated, something I learned from REST is I start with correcting about 80% of trials at the start of the session, and I go down to 50% by the end of the session. And this is really because we're not going to get 80% accuracy in a few sessions for most kids with apraxia. So correcting it each time is incredibly frustrating for them and can lead to frustration and burnout. Another tip is to implement more naturalistic and play-based approaches. For example, for Archer, our sessions are 30 minutes. I'll typically do more drill and play activities because again, I'm trying to get that motor speech practice for the first anywhere from five to 20 minutes, depending on how he's doing that day. And it really varies. So I do what I can. And then once we're to the point where that's not gonna work anymore, we do naturalistic play-based approaches. For example, we may play with a toy house and talk about what the characters see or that they need to sit down on the toilet or sit in a chair for breakfast. And there, I'm modeling those S sounds, I'm recasting utterances. So if he says dit on the toilet, I'll say, yes, sit on the toilet, sit down. So this naturalistic recasting is evidence-based for both speech and language development. And so given this, I personally feel confident having a naturalistic and play-based sessions for kids with CAS so long as I see outcomes. And I'm looking for data in my sessions, and I'm also monitoring my students' response. In this case, is Archer happy? Is he participating? Is he getting practice on his words? So I hope this episode has helped you as we've discussed five common problems with apraxia therapy and how to fix them. We covered these common problems. Therapy is too boring, the word set is too large, therapy doesn't include principles of motor learning, phonological approaches aren't used when the child presents with a phonological pattern error, and therapy is too frustrating. We also covered suggestions on how to improve sessions when these common problems arise. Some options including varying play and toys used, I gave those five examples of play therapy, getting repeated practice with a smaller word set, using principles of motor learning, including lots of trials and ideas on how to track the number of trials we're getting to increase it using that counter, using phonological interventions for phonological errors, including a discussion, of and examples of maximal oppositions, and how to vary your feedback and activities presented within sessions to reduce frustration for your students. I hope this was a helpful lesson, and that you're leaving with actionable ideas you can use in your own speech room for improved results in CAS therapy. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and We really need a new review, so please take the time to write one, and thank you ahead of time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and that this was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Until next time.